0: Appreciate that, Shane. The Pearl of Great Price, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'd like to welcome everybody here to our nice, warm and cozy church this morning. What? No snide remarks about it's not exactly warm? (laughs) Everybody was shivering in here earlier this morning. But we can be cozy in the Lord nonetheless, right? Just want to, before I dive into our psalm, which will be Psalm 19 this morning, just kind of a few announcements. First of all, I just want to greatly express um, our gratitude on behalf of the Montagna family for how blessed we were for Pastor's appreciation. Um, Your words of encouragement, your generosity, your kindness were just absolutely over the top, as usual. And, um, it's really neat how God works because it's like every year there's a, there's a, a certain act of generosity or a certain group of words or, or from a certain group of people or person, just some kind of gift or package that really seems to hit the spot for us from a different angle each year. And we're just very, very blessed and thank you so, so much for all your gifts and cards. Um, you appreciate well. And we received that. So thank you. The other thing I wanted to mention is that this is November. It is the month that we have Thanksgiving as a nation. And our church, as an expression of gratitude, kind of has the tradition of a Thanksgiving share service. And so that will be November 27th. So I'd like to ask you to be thinking about and praying about Um, God, what have you done in my life that you would want me to share publicly among the saints, among the congregation that would bring you glory, that would express the gratitude that is in my heart for you? Just pray and seek the Lord. We have till the 27th, though I need to know about a week in advance. So you still have several weeks to think about what God has done in your life, what God has done in your heart. Uh, Maybe just a few sentences of thanks. It may be a few paragraphs or a testimony. And then um, let me know. If you would like to share in what you'd like to do, so that I can kind of organize the service, appreciate that. And then, um, just kind of jumping the gun here a little bit. After Thanksgiving, of course, is Christmas. Christmas is not so far away. Not to incite panic for all of you shoppers, um, but Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. It's the second time since I've been a pastor that Christmas Day has actually fallen right on the Sunday. Uh, we absolutely will have a worship service on Sunday. It will be at 11 o'clock instead of 10:30, and there will be no Sunday school. And we want to try to keep it. Um, and uh, from about 11 to 12, there won't be any prayer and praise and announcements and things like that. We just really want to come. We want to worship the God, with, uh, um, worship God with song, Christmas hymns and songs. Have a Christmas message, um, and then. Hopefully, end at about 12 o'clock. So, try to do your very best to be here on time on Christmas Day. So that's like a two-month advance notice uh, for that. So that that should come into play. Then, lastly, the very end of our service today, as you know, this is election week. This is a huge week for our uh, our nation. It's a huge week for us as a people today, and uh, for our future. And so I'm going to play a seven-minute video from Franklin Graham, who traveled the nation and had prayer rallies and speaking rallies. Um, and it's just, it, it's an encouragement. It kind of speaks for itself, and I'm not going to try not to talk a lot about it because I want to let him speak. It speaks for itself as far as encouraging us as the people of God to pray, to be active, to be salt and light, and to vote. And, um and so we will hear from Franklin Graham as we close our service today. Well, last time we looked at Psalm 127, and we looked at King David's kind of bottom line philosophy of life. And King David was an important man, he was a lot of things. He was a he was a son. He was a brother. He was a, a father. He was a husband. And he was a ruler. He was a king. He was a legislator. And um In light of all those responsibilities that he had in life, his one thing in Psalm 127 was, I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I just want to be before you, God, and behold your glory and behold your beauty. That is the most important thing for me in my life. As long as I have that one thing, then everything else is okay. This morning we're going to shift gears and look at Psalm 19 and just for convenience sake, since we looked at the one thing this morning, I'm just going to call it the one rule that we find in this psalm. And what I mean by that is the one law and that would be God's standards, God's law, God's rules, Uh, very, very relevant to us in our times because it basically talks about what we would consider as moral absolutes. One right, good set of standards that trumps all other thinking and all other code of rules. It will become self-evident as we go on. Just to save time, I'll probably do another sermon on this song because there's so much in it. But just to save time, I'm going to just begin with verse 7 and end with verse 13. And this says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So again, this is a God tune. This is to be sung. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is true. I'm sorry. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Verse 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Verse 9. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. together. And verse 13. And I'm going to read this out of NIV just because it fits my sermon title a little better. Keep your servant also from willful sins May they not rule over me. The message is uh, simple this morning. These verses in 7 through 12 and 13 tell us that there is a standard. There, there's such a thing as one perfect rule that should rule over us, should rule over how we think, uh, how we act, how we behave, how we feel. And that is the rules of God. Uh, the moral rules of God. You can think the, the start with the Ten Commandments and then let it uh, go from there. That which should uh, rule over everything about us and our lives. And it tells us that these rules are true, the perfect. They can't be improved upon. They're right. They can't be any more on on spot or right. And they're altogether righteous. So we're talking about a difference between good. And evil. And the psalmist says that these pure, good and clean rules revive the soul. They bring life. They they, they breathe life into our hearts and our minds where there was not life before. They breathe good thinking and right living into us. And so I'm just going to tell you how I'm going to apply this sermon at the end, just so you know exactly where I'm going. And I'm kind of hoping though, I'm not making a commitment. Last Sunday was pastor's appreciation, and I'm trying to make this Sunday congregation's appreciation by blessing you with a shorter sermon so we can spend a little more time in our communion and so forth. Um, but I, I don't want to make a vow that I can't keep. I'm watching the clock here. I don't have a lot of notes, but uh, the um, the, the, where I'm headed with this in light of the idea of moral absolutes, good and evil is, is I'm going to challenge us to think about our lives and think about where we are with God. Think about the good things in our lives, the bad things, what things perhaps that we are. Uh, not in line, in line with think maybe sins that are ruling our life or the sins that we are suffering from from other people. Think about the, the personal pain, the brokenness. And I'm going to say this. What are the things in our lives where we just have to say it stops here? It's wrong and it stops here and just draw a line in the sand, whether it's pain that we're inflicting upon ourselves or pain that others are inflicting upon us, things that we've experienced, whether we're kids or adults. This this is is unacceptable and it stops here with me. I'm not letting this sin continue to pass through me. And what are the things that on the other hand, we have to say in light of God's goodness, in light of this gift of God's truth, where what are the things that I can say? It starts here. This is good, and it starts with me, and this is the person I'm going to be, and this is how I'm going to act, and this is how I'm going to think, and this is how I'm going to treat others. So just be in communication with the Holy Spirit this morning, and I'm not talking about a list of 20 things because we'll never do them. But what are the big things in our lives? What have we experienced where we can say, okay, that stops here. God's spoken to me clearly, and from now on, this is who I am, or this is who we are as a family, and this starts here. So that's how I'm going to actually close. Service Now I want to back up and build um, a foundation for that kind of thinking and develop this application. So when the psalmist says that the, that the law is altogether righteous, he's talking about what our culture doesn't like to talk much about, and that is uh, moral absolutes, that there really, are, there really is such a thing as right and wrong. There really is a right way to behave and think. There are standards that are right and wrong. And he's saying these are it. These standards, the law of God, the revelation of God, is the absolute supreme truth. You can't get any more pure, cleaner, righter. And when we abide by these, it cleans our lives up, of course, which cleans our families and our societies and so forth. It's absolutely a gift of. God. And today we live in what would be considered a relativistic culture. Everything's relative. There is nothing that's true all the time in every situation. It's uh, maybe situational. Perhaps you've heard of situational ethics. No, that might be true in this situation, but it's not true in this situation. What the Bible is saying is that God's laws are true all the time. They're universal and they're binding on all mankind. One of the things that we things that we hear a lot about today, we talk a lot about today, are values, and we talk probably more about values today than morals. And and what's happening, especially in our younger generations, is that we're mixing the two terms up, uh, and it's dangerous because values and morals are not the same thing. Um, And the older generations, you know, you, you hear it all the time. I can't believe these young people. They don't have any respect for anything. They don't know any of the difference between right and wrong. How could it? How could we come to this? Well, we purposely came to this. Um, th- these kind of things don't just happen. They, it's a result of our uh, kids being re-educated regarding values and regarding morals, regarding right and wrong. A few decades ago, and it's kind of we're still feeling the remnants of it. I'm sure many of you have heard of values-free. Education and our uh, elite educators decided that um, there really is no set of values that is any better than others, and it's just not right to impose our cultural values on other cultures um, as if ours is better. So we're going to teach our children that there are all these different values that the different cultures have are of equal value. The way they do life, the way we do life—you know, south, north, east, west. It's all of equal value, uh, and we don't want to look down our noses and frown on any other culture. Uh, We are a pluralistic society. And um, what that did, though, there's some good in that in the sense that uh, we do have to be careful about what is a true value and what's just, you know, uh, something that is our own preference, which I'll talk about. But um, what that did is it it really confuses people. It confuses kids because even kids, the scriptures tell us in our consciences, we we have a sense of right and wrong. And now they don't have this platform. Well, wait a minute. If they do this in this culture, um, you know, if if they behead people because they dressed immodestly or they stone people because they dressed immodestly or they they burn people for these kind of things. But we don't do that in our society. But I can't call that wrong. Because then it would be a value judgment. So it, it re-educates people really just to be confused, to not have a foundation, to not build on the rock, so to speak. And so it, it creates a mess. And that's why one of the reasons we have the thinking that we do. So, you know, they give tests all the time to college kids and stuff. And they kind of test the way they think and their morals. Is it, is it okay to cheat on a test? And a lot of people think it's fine to cheat on the test as long as you don't get caught. There's no moral reason behind anything. And that's an example of what does that person value. That person values good grades. And to get that good grade is okay to cheat to get that good grade grade, because the important thing is the good grade. That's the, the thinking behind it because good grades get you better jobs and so forth. So you see that the mess that we get ourselves into. But the scripture says that there is a right and wrong way to do everything. Uh, there's a right and wrong way to speak. We can lie. We can tell the truth. There's a right and wrong way to love. You've heard the term sick love. We, we don't we're not left on our own to decide these kind of things. God speaks into our lives. Um uh, People have even a sick love or an unhealthy kind of love. Even love, something that you think, well, you can't love wrongly. How is that even possible? Yes, we can. We can love the wrong things and we can love in unhealthy ways. And so God speaks to us in these ways. Now, here's the thing uh, that I want to get across to build this foundation. Values and morals are not the same thing. I love the word value because it's, it defines itself. Uh, What are values? Values are the things that we value. They're the things that we put the greatest price tags on in our lives. Uh, Values are based on personal preferences. They're based on opinions. Uh, They're based on what we find is important to us. And those are the things, obviously, the conclusions that we draw about life. That's what we're going to value. That uh, we can value things as individuals. Whole societies can come together and form cultures and and have certain sets of values. Where yeah, we all value the same things or a lot of the same things. But the important thing is that they are based on personal preference, sometimes emotion, sometimes uh, likes or dislikes. But it's generated from within a person based on importance and it's what drives us, what values us, what is what drives us. And the Psalms have been teaching us that. If we value money. What will we do? We will be driven to get money. We, it will become our main goal in life. So we're going to try to do what it takes to amass ourselves. The, the uh, amount of money that we need to bring peace to our souls. Whatever we're trying to get that money to do for us. But we value it. And that's what we become about. We become all about money. Values are not necessarily right or wrong, and that's where morals come in, because we can value the wrong things. We can put the wrong price tag, tag on the wrong item, you know, like the price is right game, and try to guess, well, what is the most valuable thing? That's where morals come in, because morals say there is a right, there's a course of action that is right or wrong to take. To obtain the things that you value the most. So morals can serve as restrictions. But the idea is that there's a right or wrong course of action that you can take to obtain what you think is good for you in your life. So getting back to someone who may value money. That person, uh, one person may say, I love money. I want to be rich. I want to have nice cars, a nice house. I don't want to ever have to worry about paying bills. And, and they, they go about it in a moral way. Uh, they're, they're honest, they're smart. They play all by the rules. They work hard. They amass for themselves a lot of money. Another person might say, I absolutely love money and I, I have the exact same values, but I'm too lazy to work hard. So I'm going to let you work hard for it. And then when you're not at home, you're on vacation. I'm just going to pick your lock and I'm going into your house and I'm going to take the things that you've worked hard for. Now, I've got nice cars and I've got a big house, too. So two people that value the same thing. Now, we might call the person, irrespective of whether money is your God or not, but we might call the person who went about it in the right way, a moral person. It was all above board. We would call the other person the thief, the lazy bum. Uh, we would call that person immoral. There are flexibility. There are flexibilities obviously in our values, because we can value different things, and they may not be the right things to value. But there are really there's not that much flexibility in our morals. Because things are definitely right and things are definitely wrong. And what's happening with our society is that we're trying to interchange these two terms. And we're now trying to uh, say that morals are are kind of flexible. And we're bleeding them over into values. Which means now someone thinks more their morality is based on their feelings, their opinions, what they value in life. And that's why you can talk to... Uh, some young people, and they might say, "Ah, sleeping together is no big deal. Everybody does it. I can do that with a clean conscience before marriage." It's because, uh, you know, it just feels right. It's good. It's practical. Whatever. That's a value. That's not a moral. We would think, "What are you? You know, that's that's an immoral thing to do." And a young person might say, "I've got a perfectly clean conscience to do this." It's because they've mistaken uh, morals for values. Morals supersede values. Morals say no, no matter what you feel, no matter what you think, God has spoken into our life, He has set the standard. Now we need to conform to that and not come up with our own kind of code or set of morals. One person might value truth. Just let's, let's think about instead of materialistic things, uh, ideology. wow, I'm doing great. Uh, ideology, think about truth. Some people might really, really value truth. That's the kind of person preferably you would want to deal with. Because the person who doesn't value truth that much, you know, when, when they're in a, a, a pinch, they may not be trustworthy. They might tell you what you want to hear. They might lie to, tell, to make themselves look good. They might lie to get themselves out of trouble because they don't hold truth as that important. They hold themselves or whatever else they value as more important, where some people will die for truth. They'll die for truth because they say, no, we have to be a people of truth. You can't have a good, healthy society without truth. So, yeah, I'll give my life for truth. I'll spend my life in jail for truth. It's based on values. One thing that's big in, in these United States of America is freedom. How much do we value freedom? Some societies value freedom. People will give their lives for freedom. You know, our our military people, they give their lives for the freedom of others. And it's a pledge that they take. And uh, we, we uphold this idea of freedom as extremely valuable, so valuable that others will give their life for it. There are other... Societies not so much. Some believe in you know, monarchies or dictatorships and they say, no, there needs to be some enslavement. There needs to be some bondage so that I, as the ruler, can be in charge so that I can make the decisions for you what I think we need the most. It's a matter of a battle of the wills. If we do a part two of this psalm, you'll see that there actually needs to be. There's no such thing as freedom without restrictions, by the way. It's not libertarianism as far as complete lawlessness or antinomianism. You cannot have freedom without restrictions, and uh, but that's for maybe next time. But what do we value? What kind of things do we value? And it's our morality that governs the way that we go about getting the things that we value. The freedom, the power, the truth, whatever. And our morals serve as safeguards, gateways, and restrictions. To not cross certain lines of what's right and wrong to gain these things. To do good as opposed to. To evil. So, so now I'm trying to uh, making a little transition and, and going to start thinking about how that we can personally apply this. Now, the big question of life, in life then is, well, then what should I value? What is the most important thing that my heart should long for that, that, that I should give myself to that? I should work hard to. And what set of morals should I use to go about getting what I love the most? Well, Psalm 127 informs us, really, what's the thing that we should value the most. The scripture cries it out on every page. God, value God, love God, behold God, seek God, give your whole being, your essence, everything you are to God. That's what we should value most. That's what our lives should be all about. And how do we go about valuing God and honoring God well with his own words his own code his own morality that's how we show our love and our honor for God we are not left on our own to determine what we should value in life we're not left on our own to come up with our own set of morality and and code for what works and what doesn't work in society God has blessed us with these things. And so we can begin to answer the hard questions that our society is asking today. Should we value marriage? Is marriage a big deal? And what, what's it supposed to look like? What about marriage do we value? Does it have a certain look to it? Is there a certain amount of people that are involved in marriage? Are there certain things that are supposed to covenant together? What does God say about that? What should it look like? Should we value children? What does it look like to value children? Do I value children? How do I show that value? Does our culture? I mean, we're considered, we're called the culture of death. Kind of a contradiction. Do I value life? What does that look like? Should I value life? Are people that important? Are children that important? What kind of children should I value? Are there certain children that I should just say, well, no, they're not as valuable as these based on the way they were born or the way they look or the way they think? What does God have to say about it? And what is my thinking? What should my parenting look like? Uh, Should I value family? How important is it in life? Do I need it or not? What can it get me? And what should my family look like if I decide I'm going to have a family? How important are these things? Where do I value them? And what is the proper way to go about reaching those things that God says are the most valuable? Verse nine says the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. That Hebrew word for the rules is the root word for that is the word um, for straight edge. That's what we're talking about. Something it's a gauge. It's a measuring device. It's like a tool. For building. It's a straight edge. And that's how you know you're building something properly. You know you pull a line. You make it plumb. Or you make it level. And then you know you're you're doing it right. And you're not going to. The final product isn't going to be leaning like this. And, and just crash down in on you during your open house party. And kill everybody in it. And It makes everybody on the same page. Same standards. So that. If I'm helping uh, Corky with a sh- his shed, he's got a level. Uh, he gets the first post planted. Then I can come with my level and say, yeah, you're right on the money. Uh, we don't work with different set of levels or we're in trouble or we're not going to get anywhere. So it's, it's this idea of a absolute standard of a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And so that's where we're coming from with God's rules. They're universal They're absolute. It's the universal standard binding on all humanity. In building, you just can't eye things all the time. When we built this church... Now, just imagine. And we did... A lot of this church was built by you. um, Framed in by Frankie, but built by you. So, when we did this, did we just all gather together? Let's have a a church congregational meeting. And I'm going to set our cornerstone or the corner post or the wall... Uh, and you let me know if you think it's straight or not in plumb. Do I need to go a little to the right or to the left? And, and all of you are giving me your opinion. No, a little bit to the. No, a little bit to. Le- yeah, right there. Can you imagine if we tried to build this church based on your eyesight or your opinion of what straight, straight plumb or level? Uh, talk about cracks in the ceiling. It it, does, it can't go by just personal judgment. And it's the same way with morality. We can't eye our morality. We can't feel our way through morality. We're going to fail in our judgments. We might get, it'll be hit or miss. There might be some things we get right. There might be some things that we get wrong. And that's why we have this absolute standard. You know. You don't have to worry about a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left, like uh, when you move furniture for your wife and where do you put the couch? No, a little bit, no, a little bit to the right. No back here. No, let's move it over here. It looks better over here. Those kind of things. These are absolute. So as we think about these, uh, these rules and these standards. God's rules revive the soul. But sin can rule over us. Sin, sin brings sickness. Sin brings brokenness. And we learn this in Proverbs. There are consequences to what we do. Proverbs 11 through 8. I'm sorry. Proverbs. Um, I don't even know if I have the right chapter in here. So you can find it on your own. Spare time. But so I have Proverbs 11 through 18. So I don't know what that means. But my son... If sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. We shall fill our houses with plunder. My son, do not walk in the way with them. For these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. What is he saying? This great book of wisdom. He's saying, when you go about things wrong, and when you try to do evil and use other people to get your way, Do you know what you're really doing? You're ambushing your own lives. You're destroying your own lives when you make up your own rules. Or when you let yourself be ruled by evil and wrong. You're you're making yourself bleed. You're creating pain and hurt in your own life. So keep your servant from willful sins, verse 13 in our psalm says. May they not rule over me. I always, uh, hardly a Sunday goes by when Corky doesn't quote Sunday school, uh, give Satan an inch and he'll become a ruler. And that's what the way sin works. So here's how we close. Here's the application. What are the things in our lives based on that? God's laws. That we know, maybe it's wrongdoing on our behalf. Maybe it's things that, Society, family, friends, whatever. The, the hurt and pain from other people's sins that have been inflicted upon us. What are the things before God that we need to decide on? You know what? This is enough. Enough is enough. That stops here. It stops with me. I'm not having this stuff passed down any more generations. I'm not having it passed from brother to sister in my own house. It just needs to stop. Because there are things that we... There are hurts that we have in our hearts based on the way other people have treated us as well. And we don't like it one bit. And some of this stuff we will struggle with our entire lives. Maybe some kind of abuse or something. And it's just, it's terrible. And we don't want that for other people. We don't want our children or our brothers and sisters or our neighbors to have to suffer through the same things that we have suffered through. And the Bible says that if we have suffered, we have suffered that specific way for an absolute reason. And it's not to stay in the hurt. It's not to stay in self-pity. It's not to feel sorry for ourselves the rest of our lives. It's to take that hurt and pain and do something good with it. To crusade for good. To say, that's it. It's not coming through me anymore. I'm not passing this down and I'm not going to be vengeful. I'm not going to follow the law of sin. I'm going to follow the rule of God. And I'm going to crusade for something good to come out of this. Now, we had an interesting conversation at our deacons' elders meeting Tuesday night. Uh, Dwight brought a devotion. It was talking about words from home, the words of the Father for the sun when God speaks from the heavens. And we we recently talked about Jesus' baptism. That's the first time God spoke and how affirming and pleasing these words were. And it turned into a conversation of um, our childhood and and our fathers. And this particular Sunday, three times, I mean Tuesday, three times a year, we invite the community group leaders to join us for our deacons and elders meetings for um, prayer and encouragement. And so there are nine men seated Around two tables back there Tuesday night. And we started talking about our family and our, and our father, fatherhood and childhood and what it was like. And uh, not everything was good. You know, some of, some of the fathers uh, showed no affection whatsoever. Uh, some of the men said, I never heard my father say I love you. Not one time. Not one time in their entire lives. Um, some said, well, my father was a, a man of God, but uh, didn't lead the family spiritually. Um, my father was was an affectionate, didn't never really, uh, hugged me or things, things like that. Or my father was a hard worker, a great provider, did lead us spiritually. Or, uh, my dad was a hard worker, absentee father. And, and there just were, there was, everybody was open and shared freely. And, um, so there, there were some things that needed to be dealt with. But what I realized as I was listening to these men speak is that all of these guys in their own way, uh, decided in their lives that based on their childhood, based on pain that was imposed or the things that were lacking in their family, it stops here, stops here. That's not what my marriage is going to look like. That's not what my family is going to look like. That's not what my parenting is going to look like. And because of the change in their lives, it affected people around them. It affected their own dads in some cases or mothers and certainly their own children and their marriages in their household. And it's it's because they said, we're not doing this anymore. That's what I was raised. It hurts. It's not good. So here's what I'm doing. That's the power of the gospel right there. It, It revives the soul. It brings change. It brings hope. It brings healing and wholeness. And that's what God can do. I'm not talking legalism here. I'm talking about the power of the gospel and changing our lives because we love God, because we agree with God what's right and what's wrong. And we agree with God that his rules are what's one good for us and best for us. And when we apply them, it brings change and life. And so it was amazing to, uh, to hear what they said and then just to, to know these guys personally and to know that the power of the gospel was in their lives. So I ask again, in closing, what is it? You know, you might be just a kid and you might think, well, I don't think like an adult. That's too, uh, that's over my head. No, there are things in your life that you've experienced that hurt you and they were wrong and they were sinful. Maybe you've been bullied. Maybe you've been made fun of. Maybe you've been excluded. Whatever it is, can you say, you know, it stops here. That's not a good way to treat people. It stops here and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to reach out and I'm going to be kind. I'm going to practice the principles of Christ, the ways of Christ, the king in his kingdom. What are the things in our families in our in our schooling, wherever we are in life, what kind of pains have we suffered through? And can we get to the point? Don't try to write a lot of things. We'll get overwhelmed. Maybe one, maybe two. We get to the point and make a commitment to God. Perhaps this morning I've heard from you, God, and I am going to say that's it. It stops with me. Sin will not be passed down anymore by the power of God and the truth of his gospel and what kind of things do you know for sure God is speaking to your heart? I need to do this. We didn't do this in our family. I didn't, I, I didn't have this stuff that I needed growing up. I am going to implement this from here on. And make your commitment to the Lord in that way. And we have an opportunity to come and worship the Lord. And let Him to continue to minister to our hearts. And then communion with our God. An amazing thing, an amazing privilege we have as the children of God. So may God bless the preaching of his word uh, and may he apply it deeply in our hearts.